For more information about First Baptist Church, visit our website at fbclewisville.org. Well, I don't know about you, maybe it's, maybe it's just a preacher thing, but I just really get excited when we begin a new study. It's kind of like Christmas. You go, to open up your, you go to open up your gifts and you just pray it's not a tie or a pair of socks. That's kind of where we are right now. But I, I, uh, So we're going to begin a new look today, a new study today. And it's going to be building off of our last study when we talked about becoming an irresistible church, a church that, that heaven can't help but bless. And one of the, the key first steps to that is going to be making sure that our hearts are right. You know, when we have the Lord's Supper, one of the first things we do is we, is we pray. Well, we sit down at the table of the Lord, we pray, and we ask God to make our hearts right. We get our sin out there for Him to to deal with and, and we confess our sins and we tell God we don't want anything in between us and him as we sit down at his table to prepare to, to, to take the Lord's Supper and that kind of thing. Well, it's the same thing with, with, with growing a church in the kingdom of God. We have to make sure that our heart is right. Open your Bibles, if you will, to Genesis. Genesis 32. We're going to be taking a look um, at verses 24 through 30. But I'd like to talk with you this morning about revival. Not the three to five day event where somebody new comes and preaches to us every night. Not the kind of revival I'm talking about. I want us to talk about the kind of revival that has to grip our lives and our hearts and our souls as we realize that we're called to be the children of God. I mean, we say that a lot. It's a churchy thing to say that we're called to be the children of God. But do we think about how incredible that is? We were created by God to have a relationship with Him. He calls us His children. We are children of the living God. And we've been talking in Galatians a lot uh, on Sunday nights about this, about this fact that because we are children of God, then we have certain rights and we have certain responsibilities, right? I mean, there, there are things that, that the child of God, anyone's child, as they grow to maturity, will, will grow in, in, in responsibility. So while it's, it's really awesome for God to call us His children, I think we need to understand really what that means. That He has called us to be His children. We were bought with a price. Our salvation was not free to God. It was free to us to accept. He makes it available to us. But the price that was paid for that demands nothing less then our complete and total obedience, our willingness to share in the, the abundance of the love that God had for us, that Jesus took to the cross with our sin, how incredible is that sacrifice? Does it touch you? Does it move you? Does it change you? That's what we're going to talk about on this road to revival that we're going to, that we're going to talk about. I mean... Do we really understand that everything we have, we owe to someone else? doesn't make any difference what it is. Everything we have, we owe to someone else, and that someone is Jesus Christ. We would be nothing without Jesus Christ. We would be nowhere without Jesus Christ. We would have no hope without Jesus Christ. So everything we have, we owe to Him. 
That without Him, we would be nothing. We would be worthless. We would be destined for an eternity in hell, separated forever from God. But Christ. Well, I tell you, those two words will change your life. No matter what you've got going on, no matter what you're going through, no matter where you you have been before you come to the point of desperation before God, but Christ. That'll change everything. That'll change everything. I mean, that wasn't... This this eternal separation from God wasn't His desire for us. We accomplished that on our own with our sin. But He made a way. God made a way. And that way required the life of His Son. But it didn't end on the cross. And you see, in the resurrected Christ, it's there that we see His plan for us. That redemption. That renewal. That revival is the fact that the the tomb is empty. That gives us hope. It gives us joy. It It gives us peace. It gives us a reason to shout. It feeds our revival. The revival of our soul. The revival of our spirit. That will ultimately result in the revival of our church. Knowing what we know about who God is. Because God doesn't keep that a secret, right? I mean, He reveals Himself to us all the time. He, he talks to us in His Word. He, he talks to us in our quiet times of prayer along with Him. He brings people into our, into our sphere of influence. People that, that, that we love. People that we might not even know that well. But He brings people in to, to give us a word. Knowing everything we know about who God is and what He's done for us, it ought to both drive us to our knees and if we can get back up, leave us jumping with joy about His goodness. His holiness. His majesty. And we ought to be sharing that with everyone who would listen. We have got... Let me tell you something. I don't know if y'all have been on social media lately. I don't know if you have turned on the news lately. But I'm going to tell you something. And I'm not speaking about any particular issue. I'm just talking about the culture in general. There is anger. There is hatred. There is fear. There is, there is dissatisfaction that is just pervasive in our society right now. You can't look, you can't have a stand or a position on something without somebody vilifying you, without somebody questioning your integrity. Gone are the days where reasonable people can disagree because we are not living in an age of reason. Let me tell you something. What this world needs is Jesus Christ. What this world needs is a church that is prepared to stand on the foundation of the gospel, Christ alone, cornerstone, and share. Are we sharing the gospel? You know, people say, what can we do as the church with so much going wrong in in this society, with so much going wrong in our world, what can we do? And, And my response is always, there's a lot we can do, but we have got to begin by standing on the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have got to begin by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have got to begin by loving like Christ loved us when He gave us the gospel of Jesus Christ. Only then are we going to see the peace 
Only then are we going to see the love return. Only then are we going to see satisfaction. It's because our world has told Jesus to take a hike. That we're in the mess we're in. And the church has a beautiful opportunity to number one, show people how to live a life that is surrendered to something other than ourselves. How to love just radically. How to give beyond our capacity. How to share with people who are spiritually, not just physically in need. We're, but the Bible tells us we're supposed to meet physical needs too, but we're supposed to meet spiritual needs. You see, anger and, and fear that comes from hurt. We have got the answer to hurt. And it's hope. Hope in the power of Jesus Christ. But we can't do that if we're not prepared to do it. We have got to share the gospel. Are we there yet? Are we gripped by revival? I don't know if we are or not. But I do know this. If we are going to be the people that God wants us to be, if we are going to be the church that fulfills the purposes of God for His kingdom on earth, then we have got to leave our encounter with God changed. If we are truly experiencing Jesus Christ the way He wants us to, if we're truly experiencing God the way He wants us to, if we're truly experiencing the Holy Spirit in our lives the way He wants us to, let me tell you something. We will not leave their presence the same way we entered their presence. We will be changed. We will be transformed. We will be new. And to do that, we've got to reach the point of desperation. We have got to reach the point. You may be saying, boy, I tell you what, Heath, we're about at the point of desperation right now. With everything that's going on in the world, with everything that's going on around us, it's so hard to stay focused on what God wants us to be focused on. It's so hard for us to stay, keep the main thing, the main thing. It's so hard for us to go out and share the gospel. I'm going to tell you something. We have got to reach the point of desperation in our lives, in our spiritual journey, where we have nothing left but God. And God will do tremendous, awesome, life-changing, world-altering things with a bunch of broken people who are simply obedient. And that's where we need to be. Michael Catt writes this. Brokenness is not something we can sign up for. But it is a necessity if we're going to be useful. When we are weak, He is strong. In the darkest hour, He shines the brightest. In the pit, we find that the bottom is solid ground. The power of desperation is something the world cannot comprehend. In a world where strength is lauded, we see that broken people have unexpected power with God. The blessings of the broken and surrendered are immeasurable. And are we broken and surrendered today? Are we broken and surrendered? Let me ask you this. I think I know the answer to it, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Have you ever felt backed in a corner? 
Have you ever felt backed in a corner? Have you ever felt that you had no way out of a situation? Well, what did you do? How did you respond to that in your life? How did you respond to that? Did you pull away from God or did you cry out to Him? When things aren't going the way we want them to go, do we find ourselves pulling away from God or running harder toward Him? That's going to answer the question to whether or not we're ready for revival. It's so easy for things not to be great in our lives and for us to blame God or question His presence or look at His absence. Do we find ourselves in our darkest moments pushing through that to get closer to Him? To find ourselves grasping for Him? Do we do, we do that? Speaking of grasping... Let's talk about Jacob for a minute. Jacob was a master at maneuvering his way out of tight corners. I mean, if you looked at the Bible about, and what the Bible has to say about Jacob, all his life, all of his life, he was known as a schemer, as a hustler, as a supplanter. He was always trying to get the upper hand. Always. He was always trying to work a better deal. He was always trying to get to what somebody else had. I mean, you find Jacob constantly trying to wiggle and squirm his way loose from, from a situation that he's in, looking out for number one. If you were to look at Genesis 25 through 31, which, which covers Jacob's life, we see so many times that Jacob gamed the system to get what he wanted. I mean, just look at how he got started in life. In Genesis 25... Verses 20 and 26, we find that Rebekah's children were struggling against one another in the womb. Jacob didn't wait to be born and grow up to find out what it was like. He was, he was fighting with his brother before he was even born. And not one to give up. Jacob was born holding on to the heel of his older brother, Esau. Trying to beat him out. Even his name, Jacob, means supplanter. Not the best way to kick things off, do you think? But that's the way it was. But one day, one day life caught up with Jacob. One day life caught up with him. He realized he was backed in a corner with nowhere to go. God had boxed him in and God had pinned him down for the count. And it brought Jacob to the point of desperation. It brought him to that point. Now, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings or offend anybody here, but I'm going to go ahead and just say this and... We can talk about it. We can have a reasonable discussion with it afterwards. But I know people who believe professional wrestling is real. Okay? Even though those, a lot of those who have been involved with it will tell you, if pressed, that the matches are planned and rehearsed and, and, and fixed. The outcome is determined for the wrestlers even entered the stadium. Now, I am not a wrestling fan myself. That's just not... What I do, I'm not a wrestling fan myself, but I do confess to finding myself drawn to the first recorded wrestling match in history, which is located in Genesis 32. I like that one. Jacob never had a chance. The match was fixed. There was no doubt who was going to win this one. Jacob wasn't slick enough to slip out of God's hold. God met him and contended with him until Jacob cried out in desperation. Let's, let's look at that together. Genesis 32, verses 24 and through 30. 
Then Jacob was left alone, and, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh. So the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. He said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him and said, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob gave the name the place Peniel. For, it, for he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. Now while we know Jacob as one of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it's important to remember that he was not a perfect man. Absolutely not a perfect man. He was flawed. He was deceptive. From the moment of his birth... He was wrestling to get his way. He always wanted a little something more, a little something extra, a little something that somebody else has, and he wanted to get it his way. And what he didn't get by depravity, he got by encouragement. Rebecca, his mother, encouraged him to deceive his father Isaac. His mother set it all up. But ultimately... Jacob was to blame for his choices. Jacob chose to lie. His pattern was lying and deception. He may have been modeled that, but at some point, it became his choice to do it. And guys, that's the same with us. Whatever's modeled for us, and I hope that it is the model of a godly home with godly parents in a godly life that spends time in church with godly friends and studies the Word of God, I pray that that is what it is for each one of us. But sometimes it's not. Sometimes those things are modeled for us in a way that is not godly. But let me tell you this, and, some, and I tell this to my kids too, at some point we reach the point in life where we must take responsibility for the actions we commit. And Jacob was no different. Look, Jacob was an unlikable man. If you were to read about Jacob, you would, you would not leave, man, I just really want my kids to grow up like Jacob. I mean, he was like the bully you despised in high school. He was the one you never wanted to turn your back on. The boy you wouldn't want your daughter to date. The sad truth is, though, in many ways, we see a little bit too much of ourselves in Jacob sometimes. And often we look in the mirror, we kind of see Jacob looking back at us, right? I think if we're honest, certain points in our lives, certain seasons of our lives, times of our lives, maybe more than we would care to think about, we do see Jacob in ourselves sometimes. Some of us are more like Jacob than we want to admit. Maybe the deal is we can't keep a job, but it's always somebody else's fault. Maybe, maybe your wife has been insisting that you see a counselor for anger, but you tell her you can handle it. Maybe you've listened to sermon after sermon on the victorious life, but you're wallowing in defeat because you keep trying harder instead of trusting completely. Like Jacob, some of us insist on learning everything the hard way. Jacob was a natural deceiver. It was a family trait. I mean, if you look at Genesis 27, he convinced his brother Esau to give up his birthright. 
for a bowl of soup. Their mother convinced Jacob to deceive his father in order to receive the family blessing that was due Esau. Later, Laban, who was Jacob's uncle and his father-in-law, tricked him into marrying Leah instead of Rachel. The philosophy of life in this family was that the end justifies the means. If you take a look at this whole family, Jacob was a... But look, Jacob is a lot like believers today. They've learned the ways of the world. They know how to scheme to their advantage. They sing on Sunday about the cross and then live in deception, manipulation, and lies during the rest of the week. What happens on Sunday has very little to do with how they live their lives the rest of the week. Now, I'm not asking for you to stand up and point out people. I just want us to understand that, that the culture has invaded the church. And because of that, we have got to strive harder and harder to live on Monday through Saturday the way we profess to live on Sunday. And we can't do that alone. We have to have the strength of God on our side. We've got to have the Holy Spirit inside us, teaching us and breaking us and convicting us and guiding us. We've got to have those things. When we gather together to, to worship and to praise, we've got to be able to be completely transparent before God. God knows it all anyway. I love the things we try to hide from God. Like He doesn't know. If I don't say it, God doesn't know it. But we're really only fooling ourselves, right? And they live this way, these, these folks live this way until until, until they face a crisis, until the bottom falls out, until they meet their match, until the seeds they sow reap a whirlwind of unbearable consequences. Then, backed into a corner, they become desperate for God. The idea of revival is to spend our lives desperate for God, not to just reach out to Him in desperation when things have finally gotten to the point where we don't think we can handle them on our own anymore. We live in desperation for Him. We live in desperation for His advice, for His counsel, for His leadership, for His guidance, for His, for His Godship, for His majesty. We live in desperation for that. As you move from chapter 31 to chapter 32 of the book of Genesis, you find Jacob in a really precarious position. Behind him was Laban, who he had cheated, right? Who he had misled. Laban misled him and Jacob, you know, not to be outdone, misled him right back. So Laban was after him. That was behind him. In front of him was Esau, the brother that he cheated out of his birthright. So there was no, there was no turning back. And the way forward was not very appealing either, if you think about it. For decades, for decades... Jacob had feared that Esau would find him and kill him. And as far as he knew, Esau still wanted to kill him. And it was time for Jacob to confront his sin. Just as a foundational question this morning, let me ask this. Are you living in fear of being confronted by your sin? Jacob was. Are you living in fear of that confrontation? 
Jacob was confronted with the possibility that his sin was going to find him out. What if Esau was bent on revenge? What if Esau was out for retribution? What if he was out for that? Jacob was without excuse and he knew it. What he had done to Esau was unconscionable. It was indefensible. And he knew it. After all that he had done to his brother Esau, his conscience was pricked with the thought of his sin and his deception. Over and over again, Jacob was reminded of the fact that he was headed with a confrontation with his past and he was headed toward a confrontation with his, with his sin. And he didn't know. And what he didn't know was that God was going to confront him before he ever got to Esau. And that's where that wrestling match came from. God was going to confront him before he ever got to Esau. Look, I never would have chosen Jacob. But God sees what we cannot see. God sees in people what we cannot see. He saw Jacob and he knew that he could become Israel. He saw a twister and a supplanter and he knew that one day he could learn to trust God at a whole new level. God looked at him and saw somebody greater than he had made himself to be. Is that not a comfort for us today? Is that not a beautiful picture of God's love for us today? Does God not look at us and see more than we have made ourselves to be? Does God not look at us and see someone who can be bent and broken for the gospel so, so that they can become people who will do tremendous things for the kingdom? Oh, I just thank God that he looks at us that way. He doesn't look at us and see a lost cause. He doesn't look at us and see somebody that's not worth his time and his effort. That he doesn't look at us and see what sometimes we see, we look at people and see. Do you find it hard to love the Jacobs of the world? I mean, I do. Do you find it? And if you do, it's probably because we've convinced ourselves that we're better than Jacob. Convince ourselves we're better than him, but God loves Jacob's. The, one that, the ones that we tend to, to write off, God loves Jacob's. We give up on them, thinking they're not worth our time, but that's because we've got our eyes on the problem and not the process. Maybe, just maybe, you're a Jacob. I don't know. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're wondering after all the lies, after all the deception, after all the conniving, can God ever use me? Why would God ever want to use me? I, can, I can't tell you the number of times that I've counseled people and that's what they say. How can God possibly ever use somebody like me? Why would God ever want to forgive somebody like me? Preacher, if you knew what I had done, if you knew the kind of person that I was, you would not sit there in that chair and tell me that God loves me, that God has got a plan for me, and that God wants the best for me because I don't live that way. But let me tell you something. God shows his own love for us in this way and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God knows everything about you. 
And He loves you with a love that is so profound and so enduring and so eternal that He sent His Son to this earth to die for your sin and for mine. Jacob is the one who says he wants to serve God, but he tries to do it in his flesh. He's the one who uses human methods and strategies in the hopes of, a, uh, of attaining blessings and the blessings and promises of God. The one who sees life as one extended negotiation process, constantly looking for loopholes in lordship and obedience and holiness. Understand, you know, doing lip service to those words, lordship, obedience, service, doing lip service to those, but trying to find a way out of it. At the end of his life, Jacob gave a kind of a brief biographical summary to Pharaoh. In Genesis 47, 9, he says this, The years of my sojourning are 130. Few and unpleasant have been the years of my life. Nor have they attained the years that my fathers lived during the days of their sojourning. Other words that have been used in translating the word uh, unpleasant in this are evil, distress, adversity, Affliction, calamity, mischief, trouble, wretchedness, wickedness. I think it reminds us that sin is exceptionally destructive. In other words, in spite of the fact that God redeemed his later days, that God renamed him, Jacob still viewed his as a wasted life. He had spent a great deal of energy and time running from God, fighting God, resisting the Lord, ripping people off. The good news is that he didn't play the blame game. He didn't point his finger at his mother and say, she taught me to be like this. He didn't say, if you knew Laban like I knew Laban, you wouldn't be so hard on me for what I did. This is what I want us to, to grasp this morning. We will never be desperate for God if we blame our environment, if we blame our education or our lack of education, if we blame our surroundings, if we blame our parents, if we blame our circumstances, we will never be desperate for God. I mean, you hear people all the time blame the system, the man, the absentee fathers, the dysfunctional families, you name it, anybody but themselves for the condition they find themselves in. The reality is this, we make choices, don't we? We make choices. Two people can be in identical situation. One turns to God, the other shakes his fist at God. One has a, a pity party, the other praises God in spite of everything. We will never be desperate until we face our own depravity. We'll never be desperate. Sin deceives us into thinking, you see, that we can negotiate with God. Maybe I can get a better deal from God than the one I've got. Maybe I can get God to agree, to do, to, to agree with me doing this, so I won't be doing the thing, other thing that He wants me to do. We think we can negotiate with Him. It deludes us into believing that we can get better in our flesh, that we don't need God to get better, that we don't need the Holy Spirit's ministry in our lives to get better. It destroys us by telling us that we can get to heaven 
but avoid a face-to-face encounter with the Christ who demands our whole life surrendered to Him. That's the great deception. They say, oh, you can't preach that anymore. That's too exclusive. People don't believe that. Well, I'm sorry if people don't believe that. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And that's really only exclusive if you refuse to believe it. Because if you believe that, it becomes the most inclusive thing that you could ever experience. There can be no revival in our lives, in the life of our church, until we reach the point of desperation. Until the knowledge of who we are and who we would be without Christ causes us to reach for God in a new and passionate way. Are we desperate for God today? Are we telling ourselves and telling others, I got this. I got this. If we are going to have revival, if we're going to have a... Look, God has given us such a tremendous... Us being the church, not this particular church, but the church. God has given us... A once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to reset our priorities, our relationships, our ministries. He has given us the opportunity to go a different way, to do a different thing, to love in a different way, to, 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 to minister to people in a way that we never thought of. He is, this, this thing that we've been going through for the last couple of months has not been for nothing. God has given us the, the, the strategic opportunity to turn things around in the kingdom of God. The only way that is going to happen is if we commit ourselves to revival. If we commit our hearts and our souls to learning and growing and doing things differently and being obedient and serving and and having that overflow into the whole family of God here through the ministries of our church. That is how revival, that is how the wind of revival comes through. It's not having somebody come and preach at us three three or four nights a, a week. God wants us to know that He stands ready to blow revival through His people if we will just be ready to be obedient. If we will just signal that we are ready to receive what He is ready to give. If we will let our lives be that sacrifice. If we will let our lives be that Revival is an awesome thing. Rebirth, renewal, whatever you want to call it. But it has to start here first. It starts in our heart. It starts with a choice to love and serve because there's not going to be, God's not going to force it on us. It starts with a choice that we make to believe choice that we make to accept what Jesus did for me and for you on the cross and then let that be the foundation upon which we build our lives upon which we build our ministries on which we build the life of this church in this community 
we stand on the shoulders of giants. What will history say about us? My prayer is that history will say that they saw the winds of revival blowing, that God created, that God ordained, that God caused to blow through the doors of, of their churches, that we were ready when the moment came. That we were ready to move when God said, let's go. That is where we are. We're on the road to revival. But it's going to begin with our getting desperate. Desperate for God. Desperate for Jesus. Desperate for what they bring to us. Desperate to, to, to duplicate that or try to find some way to emulate that in, the li in our lives so that other people can see Jesus in us. So that we can reflect His glory. We can reflect who He is to others so that they can come to the cross and be saved. And then we can get them on the process of discipleship where they grow. Are we desperate for God today? That's where we're going to begin. Are you desperate for God today? Father, I just thank you so much that you created us to have this relationship. God, I thank you that you continue to call us regardless of what's going on in our lives. You continue to call us to you. You want us to be desperate for you. You want us to reach out to you and, and just with passion and courage, Lord, and with gratitude and, and with, with fear, a fear being a holy awe. Oh, Father, we just, we just want to be the people that you have called us to be. God, we, we surrender our lives to you, Lord. We, we look up to you and we ask you to make us who we need to be to do the work you've challenged us to do. We thank you for creating us in your image, Father, so that we can reflect your glory. We can reflect your love. God, I thank you so much for that. Lord, there's people around us all the time that don't have that relationship. Lord, help us to know who they are so that we can call out to them, so that we can show them, that we can model for them, that we can witness to them. God, the gospel is powerful. It's not us. It's about what you can do through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us to be your tool, your instrument, your vessel. God, we pray for revival here. We pray for revival in our hearts. We pray for revival in our spirits. And the energy that it brings and the promise that it brings. Father, we pray for revival in our church. And the energy and promise that that brings. Lord, we want to be everything that you have got for us to be. And to do that, we surrender ourselves and our agendas to you. We want to be where you are. Doing what you are doing. Help us to make much of you in that way. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand for our time of invitation.